How and when will the world end? That's the, uh, the question in this month's Atlantic magazine. How and when will the world end? And if you're familiar with their, their big question, they do this every month, but uh, they ask, for this one in particular, they ask scientists and, and philosophers, world leaders, even a few entertainers. And really, if you think about it, it's a pretty important question, right? One that we all have different opinions or at least ideas. And so even as you think about that question, uh, what words or images come into your mind? And actually, I want to write some of these down. So what have you got? Armageddon. I knew somebody's going to say that, and so I wrote down how to spell it on this little piece of paper. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. They don't test that in seminary, so let's see. All right, what else? Armageddon. Come on. Scary. Scary, okay. Patrick's afraid. Understandable. Yeah, anybody else? Dark. Okay, yeah. Dark. It feels dark. Unknown. Um, both physically and even just uh, metaphorically dark. Yeah, what else? Zombies. zombies. Oh, good. I was so glad somebody said zombies. Yes. Who doesn't love a good zombie apocalypse? All right. Zombies. Confusing. Confusing? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. All right. One or two more? Thankfulness, yeah, honestly, right? That, there's, that history is moving in a direction and we trust the one who's moving it. Absolutely. Judgment. judgment. All right. Uh, thankfulness. Um, yeah, judgment. Okay, I always forget. Is there an E? I don't think so. Judgment. My wife, she's silently proofreading me over there. She gave me the thumbs up, so. Okay, so, I mean, all these different words, images, I'm sure we could, you know, we could spend all kinds of time thinking. There's no end to the theories and the options. And in the, the Atlantic, you know, many of them sort of suppose that one day a, a meteor is going to crash against planet Earth and it's, it's all going to be it. Or, or the sun is going to die or there's going to be some terrible pandemic or, or nuclear holocaust. Um, one of the more interesting theories, maybe we should pay attention to, is that the world is going to end in one year once Barbara Walters finally goes off the air? Um, I don't know, maybe, I guess. Uh, but there, there's no end to these theories. And frankly, even as you think about it, we're sort of obsessed with the topic, aren't we? I mean, even just think for a moment about all of the hype last year with the Mayan calendar, right? That was kind of anticlimactic, wasn't it? It's like we're still kind of waiting for it, aren't we? Or even think about the entertainment genre. I Personally, I do love the, you know, dystopic sort of end of days kinds of, of movies. I, I'm, I'm drawn to it. Kelly and I, this past weekend, we finally saw World War Z, right? And yes, zombies, why not? Or, or even just over history, right? There's always been intrigue with the end of the world, even in entertainment, whether it's Dr. Strangelove in the 1960s, all the way to, to Wally or Planet of the Apes or uh, Seeking a Friend for the End of the World. I mean, all of these different stories, countless numbers of them, all very different, all darkly apocalyptic, and all deeply intriguing to us. I mean, in some ways, we, we all know, I mean, something within us, we just, we know that this story is going to end one day. I mean, don't we? I mean, I think that's why we continually ask and, and seek that we, this story, or at least this chapter of the story, is at one point going to be over. 
Even though we don't really like to think about it. I mean, we're obsessed with it on the one hand, and yet we like to, I think we like the entertainment version of it. That way we don't really think about the reality that this really could happen, that things are, are moving in a direction. We don't like to think about it. But how you answer that question of, of how and when, I mean, it's not just a theoretical question. It affects the present. It affects the way you live. Your, your view of the end tomorrow affects the way you live today in the present. At least it ought to if we really believe that. I mean, just think about some of the big questions of the human experience. Who am I? Where did I come from? And where is it all going? If everything is just random and the end is just sort of looming, then what meaning is there in our existence? I mean, think about it. If we're just random and we're headed to some random conclusion, what gives this moment any significance whatsoever? But there is one truth that instantly gives everything an incredible amount of significance. God knows how it will end. We, we as Christians, we, we believe that God is the, the author of history, that this is the story he is writing, and that he is moving it all towards his goal, that he has a plan or, or a vision of all that's, that's happening, and it's moving in a particular direction. One of my professors back in, in seminary uh, used to say to his class occasionally that, that Christians are roadies, not wheelies which doesn't really make any sense the first time you hear it, right? Um, he's Australian. I don't know if that makes a difference. But, but basically, he said, we're, we're, we're roadies, not wheelies. We're not wheelies. We're not, we're not on some endless carousel or, or Ferris wheel around and around and aground without purpose, without direction, over and over and over and over. That's not, that's not us. But instead, we're roadies. We believe we're on this, this path, this, this road, that there is a goal and that God knows how it's going to end. And not only does God know the details, but he does give us a couple of hints along the way. I mean, for example, how would Daniel, this prophet in the Old Testament who lived so long ago, how would he answer the Atlantic's question of how and when will the world end? Well, let's ask him. In fact, this morning we're going to ask Daniel three questions. How will the world end? When will the world end? And why does God tell us what he tells us? You see, Daniel, Daniel had all these crazy visions and dreams. Usually, for those of you who grew up in church or are familiar at all with the prophet Daniel, I mean, we typically think first of the lion's den, right? Or we think about some of these great stories with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, all these wonderful things. And that, that's there in the first half of Daniel, Typically, that's where we kind of like to stop our reading, you know, after chapter 6. And then 7 on, it just gets weird. I mean, like some bizarre acid trip. This, this guy sees all of these, these crazy things, these, these incredible visions, many of which have already come true. Many of which uh, showed the, the demise of various empires and the, the transition from the Babylonians to the Assyrians to the Greeks to the Romans. All of that has been fulfilled. Even, even some of his, his idea of when this Messiah, the Ancient of Days, would, would come. All that's happened. And when we get to Daniel 12, Daniel 11 and 12, there's sort of one kind of final vision. Um, 
one that hasn't happened yet, one, one that extends out far beyond what we can even know or expect. And, and so even, even as a church now, we're doing this open here thing. We're going through the whole Bible. We, we've said that from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, but it, God doesn't wait until Revelation to give us a glimpse of the end. That happens throughout. And so it uh, may seem odd that, okay, we're preaching through the Bible. We're going to do one message in Daniel and Daniel 12, really? We couldn't have done the lion's den or something cool? Um, well, no, we, we chose this one because we want to see this, this story that God is telling, that it's not just something that he is coming up with towards the end of the, of the Bible, but even here, still in the middle, God knows how it's going to end. Okay, and just a little truth in advertising. Again, God knows the details, but even Daniel doesn't understand everything that he saw. So if you're expecting like a whole lot of clarity on the end of the world, you're going to be a little disappointed. And yet at the end of the day, Daniel grabs onto this. God knows how it's going to end. All right, so here we go. How will the world end? Turn to Daniel chapter 12 if you have your Bible uh, with you. It's about two-thirds of the way into your Bible. Um, yeah, it's in there, Daniel chapter 12. And there's a lot, a lot of places in the Bible that talk about the end. It's, it's not an unusual thing. Um, this is, by the way, this is called eschatology, for those of you who are kind of curious and a little nerdy, like I am. Eschatology, right? Ology is the study of eschat or eschaton. It's the Greek for the end or end times. And so it's eschatology, the study of end times. And scripture uses countless metaphors and images to describe what will happen. And so as a result, this kind of literature, apocalyptic literature, is not exactly a genre of precision. Okay, the, the authors aren't particularly concerned with minute details. And, and no matter where you look in scripture, at, at these various sections of apocalyptic literature, um, it almost always, this picture of the end, almost always comes with, with two conflicting images. That on the, on the one side, it's going to build up with great pain and trouble, while on the other side, it's leading to incredible joy and beauty. These two images. Daniel chapter 12. Let me be, read beginning verse 1. At that time, okay, context here, at the end, right, the end of times basically, uh, shall arise Michael, the, the archangel, the great prince, he says, who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. Okay, let's go ahead and stop here. There's enough to kind of wade through at this moment. So great pain and great joy. Uh, now, Jesus in the New Testament, he, he picks up on this. Jesus talked a lot about the end as well, particularly in Matthew like 24, 25. It's called the Olivet Discourse. Uh, and Jesus uses this great metaphor to kind of describe what's going on with these two conflicting images of, of both pain and joy. Uh, he uses the, the metaphor of giving birth. Um, because, ladies, right, so I'm told, uh, there is little more physically painful in the world than, than giving birth. So Jesus and, and Daniel here says the end is, is kind of like that, and yet after is something incredible, incredibly worthwhile. 
That, that once you get through that horrible moment, there's something wonderful, something beautiful, something new that, that waits for us. Both pain and joy at the end. So let's, let's talk about these. How will it end? First, let's talk about the, the bad side of it. Um, essentially, Daniel says it's going to end terribly. Okay? If you want to know, it's not going to be good. Initially, that's verse 1, right? He says, there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. Like never before it's going to be bad. And just think about for a moment the context in which Daniel's writing this. Okay, we've, we've said this is one of the darkest time periods of Israel's history ever. Um, we, we looked at it with, I mean, very similar time period of, as Jeremiah and Ezekiel. This is an ugly moment. They have rejected God and everything has fallen apart in the world. And even Daniel himself, right, as a teenager, he was kidnapped out of his homeland, forced into Babylon as a slave, working there among his people as an adult. He's thrown to the lion's den for praying to the true God. He knows suffering. And yet he says, that time that's coming doesn't even compare. Yikes. You know, as people who understand the story that God is telling, um, we should never be surprised at suffering. We shouldn't. I mean, God's people have always suffered. Humanity has always suffered. Frankly, in a world as broken as ours, instead of being surprised at our suffering, sometimes I wonder if we should be surprised at our comfort the ease that we have. Daniel knew suffering. And he knew that the pain is only going to build as we approach the end, just like a woman in labor. He's, this is the idea. But she's going to give birth to, to great joy, beauty, newness. I mean, again, that's why the, the metaphor of giving birth is so perfect. At the end, Daniel says, there'll be a a resurrection. That those who have their names written in this this book, he says, this mysterious book, that they will be delivered. That they will rise up from the dust of the earth to everlasting life. if If that's you, then the end comes with overwhelming joy. Absolute delight. I can remember when I was younger, thinking, I, I actually kind of hating the idea that Jesus could like come back and you know ruin my life kind of thing. Anybody else remember? Like, I mean, I just it's so much still to live for and to want to experience and see and and all of that. And I and I still get that right. We can't help but feel that at least to some extent because this world is all we know, and there are a lot of good things that we get to enjoy. Right? I mean, we 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 like that. And yet we have no idea the joy that's in store for us. And in some ways, we're kind of like the kid who who continues to choose PBJ just because they've never tasted filet mignon. We we don't know what's in store. We, we, We don't even have anything to compare it to. That's something so good, so beautiful is being offered to us. But what about those who aren't in the book? Daniel talks about them too. He says, for them, the trouble persists. You see, everyone exists forever. Not everyone truly lives forever. Because they also will be resurrected, he says. But it will lead to shame 
and everlasting contempt, that those who rebel against God will continue to rebel against God, and they will rebel against God forever. That's, that's the idea, and honestly, what a haunting picture of hell that is. I mean, this idea of, of shame, of everlasting contempt, I mean, that, that to me, at least, that's an image so much darker, so much more terrible than fire. This is, this is that, what, what's, what's happening. Well, how could a loving God send somebody to hell? I mean, I wrestle with that. We all wrestle with that, don't we? But does he really send them? I mean, if you think about it, those who reject God spend their lives telling God, I want nothing to do with you, God. And heaven is, by definition, the place where God is, right? I mean, we often think of it, you know, as this sort of hedonistic playground or, or the, this great reunion that we get to have with lost loved ones. And yeah, sure, it's those things, but that's the icing. The cake is that this is where God lives and we get to be with him. I mean, heaven is nothing if not the place where God dwells. And so if you spend your life rejecting God, telling him you want nothing to do with him, I mean, do you really think that all of a sudden just because the world has ended that now you want to go and live with him, dwell with him? Hell is a place that we choose. And God lets us go the way that we've chosen. If, if, if you spend your life rejecting God, then you get to spend eternity where God is not. That's what you've asked for. That's kind of a hard thing to wrestle through, isn't it? But it goes back to what we've said in, in the past of this, this trajectory of the life, the person that we're becoming, of, of who we are, and we become more and more that person who continues to reject God, who wants nothing to do with him. And so we think that that individual, right, if that's, if that's you or if that's, if that's me, that, that all of a sudden that we're going to want to be with this God who is holy and righteous and just. Although the idea of God's judgment is certainly a hard pill to swallow, it does, in many ways, give meaning and significance to every moment of life, doesn't it? Because now everything matters, right? I mean, there's not a, a single thing. Every action, every attitude counts because a, a loving and holy God is watching us. And he is bringing everything toward his end. And for those written in the book with faith in this God who rescues its everlasting joy, and for those who persist in their rebellion, it's everlasting shame. The truth which ought to break our hearts, right? We don't know the details of all that this looks like. But God knows and we trust in him. In many ways, I kind of think of it, particularly as I, as I think about the end and, and what God is doing and, and telling us about the end, I, I kind of think of it like when I watch or read something with my kids. You know, something particular that's like a little bit on the scary side. You know, so the first time we, we read through Narnia or watched Star Wars together, I mean, there, there were moments along the way where we had to pause, okay? We had to just, just stop for a moment. The, the fear was getting a little too intense, and I had to just stop and say, okay, kids, David, Eden, I know how this is going to end. And I don't, I don't give them all the details, right? I don't want to completely ruin it. Yet I give them enough to know, to continue to make it through. No, okay, yeah, daddy knows how it's going to end. And he says it's going to be great. 
Um, and they trust me. It doesn't take away all their fear, believe me. I mean, there's still those moments of, you know, clinging together, but it gives us the ability to sort of snuggle in and power through, to get through to this glorious end of whatever those stories happen to be. And isn't that what God does with us? He doesn't tell us the whole story, but he gives us a few details along the way, just a few hints And ultimately, we rest in this. Our God who loves us, our God who can be trusted, he knows how it's going to end. So that's how. Kind of. A little vague, I know. But what about about when? When will the world end? Yikes. God gives us even less clarity for this one. Um, When? I don't know, okay? Okay. Uh, God does, all right? That's a good thing. Uh, he does give us a few hints. And, and in fact, Daniel and whoever is there with Daniel in Daniel's vision is, is wrestling through the same thing. In fact, in verse 6, uh, someone there, I, I don't know if there's a crowd watching, but somebody shouts out, how long shall it be to the end of these wonders? So somebody's already asking the same question that we're wrestling with. And in verse 7, a voice answers back and says, it would be for a time times and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. It's good, all right? In verse 11 then, it adds something about 1,290 days and there's something about 1,335 days. And I mean, essentially it's around three and a half years, all of this. And so it's pretty obvious when the world's gonna end, right? After times, time and time and a half. Gosh, I'm surprised you didn't know that already. Anybody else feel clueless here? Yeah, uh, me, yeah, right. And I've studied this, so uh, good luck here. Uh, and even what I love, this is actually probably my favorite verse in this passage, because it gives me a little bit of a sigh of relief here. Listen to what Daniel says in verse 8. What he says, I heard, but I did not understand. Okay? We're not alone here. If Daniel didn't understand all these things, don't expect to have it all figured out by the end here. And then Daniel says, oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? Essentially says, I don't, I don't get it, God. And can we just sort of cut to the chase here? What, what, what's, you know, give me the end game. And God simply responds back to Daniel. He says, go your way, Daniel. For the words are shut up and sealed until the end of time. Don't worry about it, Daniel. Continue on with your life. All you need to know, Daniel, is I got this. Sure, we could, we could try to get into all of the nitty-gritty details of, of when and, and all of that. I'm not, I'm not trying to make light of that. You, know, you can add you know, the tribulation uh, plus the rapture, you know, carry the six or whatever. And, and we could come out with these charts and graphs. And again, that, that people do that, and I'm not trying to be critical of that. In fact, we're going to draw a simple one in, in just a moment. Um, All of God's word is important, even the parts that are practically impossible to fully understand. But we've got to remember here that even Daniel doesn't know. He's the one who witnessed all of these things. And frankly, even Jesus says that he doesn't know. I mean, did you know that? It always puzzles me, right? Jesus, in that same spot of Matthew that I'd mentioned a moment ago, he says, but concerning the day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son but the Father only. I mean, at the very least, while Jesus was on this earth, even he didn't know. Jesus, who knows everything, 
didn't know the answer to this question, which kind of blow your mind a little bit, doesn't it? Whenever I, I hear yet another prediction about the end of the world, because it you know, every like six minutes, it seems like there's another prediction. I always think to myself, and I'm a bit of a cynic, I know, but I always think, I just sort of chuckle and think, yeah, you figured it out, sure. The Son of God doesn't know the answer to that, or didn't know the answer to that question, at least, at least in his time on earth. He didn't know, but I'm sure you've figured it out, you know? It's kind of a nice job, weirdo kind of moment. Right? <laughs> Give me a break. All right, now come on, Nathan. Okay, uh, you're our pastor. Help us out, All right? Some of you are thinking that. It's like, don't just, let's not just brush it off to the side. Uh, a little cop out here, you know, uh, yada, yada, yada. Can't you at least give us a ballpark? Well, sure. But remember, ballparks are really huge. Um, I'll do my best. Uh, here's what it says in our statement of faith. Let's, let's start there. Uh, our statement of faith says, this is our denomination, the Evangelical Free Church, but also particularly of Christ community, uh, says, we believe in the personal, bodily, and pre-millennial return of our Lord Jesus Christ. The coming of Christ at a time known only to God demands constant expectancy and, as our blessed hope, motivates the believer to godly living, sacrificial service, and energetic mission. Okay, not a lot of detail here, um, but here essentially are the things that we, that we know. Okay, I already started a little bit here. Hopefully you can kind of see it. This, this is a line, as you can see, uh, sort of representing time, all right, if you want to call it that, or reality, or, or whatever, you know, history of the world, whatever. Um, you think of it like, like that. And there's an arrow you see on both directions. So that's God, because God has always existed. There was never a point when God was not. So we'll put him down here. God exists. And that goes on in eternity in either direction, uh, outside of time. Without it, God has always existed. But here are a few things that we do know, okay? At some point, something happened, right? Uh, stuff happened. Matter happened. God created creation. God spoke into being our existence and the existence of our world. We know that, okay? We believe that. We also know, right, this has already happened, that God himself, Jesus Christ, has come to this earth. I mean, that's the only thing on here that we have really with, with any sort of date, give or take, right? Christmas, 2,000 years ago, Jesus came. The same God who created came to the earth that he made. This is his first coming. We often refer to it in that way. Um, so this is past, okay? Uh, future, Jesus is going to come again. Very, the very same guy who came here, the same God who created, is coming back. That's cleverly called his second coming. Okay, now I know I'm kind of blocking the way here. So that's this line here. Uh, and then this little space, according to Acts 20, there's going to be this thousand-year period in between here. Um, often called the millennium. You see that word there, right? The premillennial return. So Jesus here. Um, that's something that we hold to as a denomination. Okay, thousand years. And then after that, we have the new creation. I'm going to just write NC for new creation, okay? Um, and, and essentially, the new creation, that is when heaven and earth are joined forever together. That there's no longer this, this sort of heavenly reality and this earthly reality. That there is one reality. And those who have faith in Jesus Christ get to dwell with God uh, in that reality forever and ever and ever and ever goes on and extends eternally. 
Okay, so where are we now? Okay, we are somewhere between here and here. So we're going to say now, that's us. I know, I told you this would be helpful. Um, and the reality is we, we could be in this spectrum, we could be somewhere in the middle, right? Theoretically. I mean, honestly, we could still be right here. Maybe this has been 2,000 years right here. It could be right here, right? And Jesus can come back this afternoon. We, we don't know. The reality is Jesus said there would be delay, and the apostle Peter says that a thousand years is like a day to God. We don't know. What we do know is that it's closer today than it was yesterday. And tomorrow it'll be even closer still. I mean, every generation of Christians, I mean, we often say, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm not making light of this, but we say, well, you know, surely look, at, look around at our world. Surely this is now. Surely this is the time that, that he's going to come back and the world be made right. Maybe. But every single generation of follower of Christ for 2,000 years has believed that about their generation. Has looked around, saw the times, and said, surely it's soon. Surely it's coming. And so the reality, we just don't know sooner today than it was yesterday. All right, so wait a second, when? Um, some of you are afraid you dozed off and missed something. Um, well, you didn't. You didn't miss at least not a date. Um, when is the world going to end? Daniel doesn't know. Neither do we. But God does. And it's, it's not important for us to know When? But it is so important for us to recognize that he knows when. Because he is the one that we trust. Okay, so Nathan, let me get this straight. Let's kind of all make sure we're on the same page here. How's it going to end? We said with pain leading to joy, judgments, resurrection, whatever, all, all of that. That's, that's this stuff right here, essentially. Um, kind of helpful, vague. Uh, when, that's super vague. Um, so why does God even bother to tell us what he tells us? I think this is kind of the, the, the big question at the end of the day. Because God, he gives us these little tiny tastes, but why? why? Why just whet our appetite? Why does he tell us so little? Well, I love how one theologian s- summarizes this. Listen to what he says. He says, Jesus' eschatological teaching, okay, end times teaching, um, like the prophets, so all, all the Bible's teaching about the end times, It says, is fundamentally ethical in its character and purpose. He is never interested in the future for its own sake, but speaks of the future because of its impact upon the present. And listen, this is is so important. The Bible's teachings on the future are always about the present. Always. Why does God tell us any of this stuff? Well, for three reasons, and I I think we see them all right here. In light of this future, whatever that that looks like, whatever that means, in light of this future, God wants us to live faithfully, to live wisely, and really to live somewhat normally as we wait for it all to unfold. God doesn't tell us about the future to satisfy our curiosities. He doesn't tell us about the future to give theologians oodles of things to argue about which we enjoy arguing about these things. That's not why he gave them to us. He tells us about the future so that today 
we'd live faithfully, wisely, and even normally. Let's, let's just talk quickly about the, those three things here because I think it's, it's so important for us. First, that we live faithfully. I mean, he, he tells us about this, this coming judgment to remind us to be faithful today. In fact, the, the inevitable question, right, the very first question that any of us should be asking with a passage like this, as, as difficult as it is, as vague as it is, is to say, okay, book of life, right? Um, it's a good thing for some and not a good thing for others. So where am I on this path, right? It's, that's the inevitable first question that we've, we've got to ask. Am I headed toward everlasting joy or everlasting shame. The Bible makes it very clear that in life there are two paths, very different paths that lead to two very different places. Which path are you on? Who are you becoming? Are are you becoming the kind of person who continues to reject this God over and over and over again? Or the kind of person that seeks him? Regularly longing to to know more of him. Only the path that is centered upon Jesus ends well. In this life, it's not something we earn. It's simply a gift of God through his son Jesus offered to each one of us. Have you put your faith in him? God wants us to read passages like this and he wants us to live faithfully, full of faith in him as the God who orchestrates history. The second God tells us these things because he wants us to live wisely. You might have seen that in, in verse 3 there. It says, Those who are wise shall, shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. Now the word for wise there, it's not a typical word for, for wisdom, kind of the, the general wisdom or the, the wise life. This word carries with it more of the idea of discernment of watchfulness, of paying attention to, to where you're at in, in your reality. And so... Um, it kind of goes, goes to what Jesus said again in, in Matthew 25. He says, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So what, is it, what does it mean to live wisely? What does that even look like? Well, it means that we hold this tension very closely. That on the one hand, we live our lives as if Jesus could come back this afternoon. And at the same time, we plan as if it's going to be another thousand years. To live wisely, we hold both of those things constantly in tension. I mean, what, what would you do differently if you knew that the world was going to end later today? All right? I mean, it's, that's a pretty important question to think. How would you treat your family, your friends? What kind of things would you pursue? What would you give your life to or, or not give your life to? What, what would be different? I mean, essentially, wisdom says we should always live like that. I mean, because no matter when Jesus returns, right, even if we take that discussion out of it, for all of us, our days are numbered. We don't know how long we have. So live wisely. And at the same time, it could be a thousand years. It could be two thousand years. Who knows, right? Live as if it could happen at any second and yet plan as if it's a long ways off. Essentially, I think that that's the idea of this, this live normally piece. There's a sense in which life just goes on. Yes, live faithfully. Yes, live wisely. But also live kind of normally too. Do you see that in in verse 9 and 13? Both places, God tells Daniel, he says, go your way until the end. And I love that God tells him that. I mean, the world as we know it, it it will end, but he's essentially, Daniel, don't don't obsess about it. Don't, Don't worry about it. Live your life. Live it to the glory of God. Hold these these tensions in mind, but go on your way, Daniel. 
Do, do the work, whatever it is that God has called you to do, wherever, whatever place he has put you, whether it's with your office or in your, your family, your community, and your church, what, just do what God has called you. Do your work. Go on your way, Daniel. Live faithfully, even in the midst of the ambiguity. And with that, Daniel, and all of us, stay hopeful. Because God knows how it's going to end. Don't despair. I mean, yes, we are on a long, hard road. Sometimes it feels like it just goes on and on forever and ever. And some of us, I mean, some of you are feeling this right now in particular, right? You just, you feel so broken down and, and weighed down by whether it's, it's pain around you that you have no control over or just the sin in your life, the, the shame in other people's lives, and we feel it so deeply. And some of you, I mean, you're begging Jesus just to make it right already, Right? To be, to be done and to, to bring healing and wholeness. We long for this. It feels like forever. But have hope. The end is coming. And for those who know Christ, it'll be rest, joy, peace, relief that he will make it right. He will make me right. And no matter how ugly it gets along the way, he can be trusted. How can we possibly live this way, though? Faithfully, wisely, normally. I mean, how do, we, how do we do it? We know so few details, right? And we so easily freak out about whatever is going to happen or come into our lives now or in the future. And how do we keep our head in the, in the midst of the tragedies to come? Well, we don't know how it's going to unfold. We don't, we don't know when. Um, Frankly, we don't even know all the whys and whatevers, right? But we know something so much better than how, than when, than why, and whatever. We know who. God knows how it's going to end. And Jesus Christ, the same Jesus who loves us, who pursued us, who came to this earth simply to be with us and who died for our sins and rose again to to life so that he could be with us forever, this same Jesus who promises to make all things new, to wipe every tear from our eyes, to make this heart right and this world around us, that he is the one who's coming back. God knows how it will end. And that end can be described with the most beautiful word ever spoken. Jesus. Let's pray. God, give us hope in the midst of what often feels like despair. Give us peace in the midst of our shame. And give us joy in the sadness. God, you left out so many details. I pray that we would trust you. Knowing that we have something so much better than details. We have a God who loves us, who pursues us, and who holds everything in his hands. So now, our God, our Father, we come and we worship you. We delight in you, for we trust in you. In Christ's name, amen.